Hallelujah, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the assembly of the upright, in the congregation, he has shown the people the power of his works. The work of his hands are faithfulness and justice. All his commandments are sure. O God, may the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight so that your word might come alive this morning and your kingdom would be built here and conquered. Amen. Beloved in God, good morning. It is good to be in God's house. Thank you for the opportunity to proclaim God's word to you this morning. I pray it will be a time saturated with spirit. Shall we begin together? All right. I have a little Baptist in me, so I need you to work with me. (laughs) This morning we hear about Jesus working power over demons. We read again from our gospel story this morning. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked them, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. Beloved, this week and next week, our lectionary gives two different accounts, both from the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, where Jesus exercises power over demons. Scripture tells us even the demons are subject to his authority. My question for us this morning, do we live our lives as if this is true? Do we live our lives as if Jesus has the power to cast out demons? Or do we lie awake, worrying about all the things we think we can control or manipulate into success? Do we watch the news anxiously wondering what's next and turning it off in utter disgust? When we see fewer and fewer people attending church services, do we presume in utter despair that perhaps the kingdom of God might never show up? Not here, not anywhere. Let's start with ourselves first. I ask us, the faithful gathered here this morning, what are the demons that keep you awake at night? What are the questions and concerns that plague you at 3 a.m.? What keeps you from loving God more deeply? And if I, ask, if I may, ask one more question. Have you brought these things to God? These things that are preventing us from divine intimacy. What does God think about them? It might sound simple, but so often we never invite God into our personal drama. We assume God is a far off, absent father or mother who doesn't really care about us. 
We think the good news of Jesus Christ is simply too good to be true. So we never try it on for size. We presume Jesus meant all of those things for someone else. That nice guy down the street. That nice lady at the grocery store. News flash. He meant it for you. For each of you. For all of us. Jesus is inviting us into abundant life. All we have to do is invite him into the dramas and traumas of life. And it need not be a grand or dramatic event for which we invite Jesus into our lives. It can indeed be the smallest thing. For example, Jesus, if this red light does not change, I am going to scream. Jesus, if my grandchild doesn't get into that summer program, I don't know what we're going to do. Jesus, if we don't have enough volunteers for this event, it's not going to happen. Bring it all to Jesus. See what he has to say about your life. Secondly, I ask us the question, what are the demons that plague our country? And no, this is not the moment when we get to insert our least favorite political figure of the week, nor is it the moment that our favorite political figure becomes the new Messiah. It is the moment of the sermon where we examine our country's history. For example, the way that chattel slavery was among the most brutal form of slavery this world has ever known. We never paid reparations to the slaves. Instead, we paid reparations to the slaveholders. And we continue to be perplexed when we experience deep issues of systemic racism. There are some good organizations working against this reality. The Equal Justice Initiative, founded by Brian Stevenson, and the Whitney Plantation, a museum in Louisiana, entirely focused on the institution of slavery. What does Jesus think about our issues of racial exclusion? Have we asked Jesus to guide us into holy living as a nation. We also could examine how this country sought farm workers from Mexico during World War II in a program called the Braceros Program. As people went to bravely serve this country in World War II, Mexican people were brought to farm the fields. When the war ended and their service was no longer required, They made the workers undocumented overnight. We don't hear these stories when we debate the needs for immigration reform. Instead, we demonize immigrants, making them the bad hombres, in the hopes that once the immigrants leave, all of our problems will simply evaporate. The factory jobs that people seek will return overnight, and the Rust Belt will once again experience prosperity. I hear the anger 
that leads to the scapegoating of immigrants. But if I've learned anything from my work with immigrants and refugees, I've discovered that as a people, we must wrestle with our own history as a country around immigration and realize that immigrants are not the problem. The issue is instead changing economic systems and the inability for some to keep up with the changes in the job market. Imagine if we spent all this hate and put all that energy into educating people. Dreamers, nose confined to despair, black, white, brown people, regardless of where they come from or where they are going. What if we spend time educating rather than hating? What would our country look like? What does Jesus desire for our nation? How does Jesus desire to heal our nation around the issue of immigration? Finally, I ask us, what are the questions that plague our church? On the whole, there is some slight anxiety in the Episcopal Church about numbers. You may have heard some rumors. Don't worry, we're fine. People say to me, the evangelical churches are growing and we're shrinking. What are we doing wrong? We're going to die to which I always try to offer some perspective. First of all, yes, we are all going to die. People, congregations, even entire church systems are prone to dying. Part of being alive means that death is a real possibility. And we are a people committed to the story of resurrection. So if God calls us to die, we are assured of resurrection. Secondly, according to some recent reports cited by Canon Chuck Robertson, Canon to the presiding bishop for ministries outside the Episcopal Church, the numbers of people attending evangelical churches has actually begun to slightly decline. And some Episcopal churches and dioceses are growing. It's not a competition, but I think we're doing something right. If we want the church to live, it's up to us. Ministries that you are all carrying out in the local prisons and the feeding program in Boston are exactly the type of missional engagement that will change people's minds about church. Again, what does Jesus say to us? Have we invited Jesus into the heart of our struggle to discern where Jesus is leading us? Now, this might not be true in Massachusetts, but in New Jersey, the church is seen often as a woman-hating, gay and transgender-excluding, super-self-focused morality police. We, as the Episcopal Church, offer a profoundly different branch of Christianity. And people are starving for the truth we proclaim. 
Your engagement out in the world has the opportunities to transform lives, to transform trauma into grace, and to heal people who presumed they were beyond healing. Jesus has power over demons. But so often we settle for a nice, happy Jesus who simply smiles at us all day long from a lovely picture above Grandma's fireplace. Now, I love Grandma's fireplace, but Jesus is so much more than that. I challenge us today to invite Jesus into the muck of our lives. Bring him to your hurt, your pain, your frustrations. No matter how silly and inconsequential it might seem, invite Jesus into your life. And take Jesus at his word as grace pours into your life. And if you struggle amidst this process, which, if you're anything like me, struggle will come. There are so many resources to help you along the way. Retreat centers, meetings with clergy, spiritual reading, and spiritual directors, all committed to helping us grow in the love of God in Christ Jesus. I believe in the profound possibility that Jesus wants to be involved in your life. And this involvement can change our lives and transform our broken world into the very kingdom of God. And it's up to us. One final point. Just before I came here, I received a phone call from a parishioner and her friend who cared deeply about a seventh grade boy named Osama. He is a refugee from Syria. And after unspeakable tragedy and triumph, he and his family were given an incredible gift of coming to the United States through our refugee resettlement program. He now lives in Springfield, Massachusetts, and is struggling in the school system there. The war seriously disrupted his schooling not to mention his migration, and he's far beyond, behind his grade level. Many good people are working to enroll him in a boarding school for high school, but he needs one year in a good school system to catch up on all that he's lost. As a result, his family and many wonderful committed volunteers are looking for a family in Massachusetts that won't mind one more kid as part of the family for one year. If you know of someone, let me know. I do believe these are the moments when the kingdom of God invites us to be the co-builders with the divine so that we might create communities of kinship such that God would recognize them. I'm here today preaching to all of you because your rector saw something in me that I could not see in myself, invited me to be the pastoral care intern, picked me up off the metaphorical and literal floor, and said, where you've been is not where you're going. Come with me, for while the journey is long, I'm with you. We have one another. 
We have Jesus in our corner. And there is work to be done. Let us begin together. Amen.